This is episode 30 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Carmen Bartos. She's back for round two. Uh, the segment we did ended up being, I thought, really long, and there's a lot of information in here, so I decided to split it into two episodes. So today you will hear the second part of Carmen's episode of how to form a trach team in your facility. Today's guest is Carmen Barto. She is a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and she is currently employed at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, specializing in dysphagia management, trach vent intervention, and in head and neck cancer. She is a member of the VUMC Tracheostomy Consult Service, and in addition to her clinical responsibilities, she facilitates a head and neck cancer support group and recently taught dysphagia as an adjunct instructor at Tennessee State University. And as always, you can download the show notes for this episode, which are the same show notes for the last episode. Uh, you can download those at bit.ly, B-I-T L-Y forward slash S-Y-P podcast 030 or text S-Y-P 030 Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. All right, welcome back for part two, everyone, of Carmen's episode uh, like I said, this was such a great conversation with her about forming a trach team and the role of the SLP with speaking and swallowing with patients with trach. So I really wanted to break this down into two episodes for you. So today you will hear the rest of the episode. And I know last week I mentioned uh, Dr. Fisher's trach and vet course that is coming up in April, but I wanted to mention that again for anyone that might have missed it. Uh, if you remember, Dr. John Ashford back from episode three talked about the three pillars of pneumonia and oral care, and also Dr. Jamie Fisher from episode 17, she talked a lot about trachs in that episode and if they cause dysphagia and kind of some frequently asked questions about trachs. They are teaming up for a course also in Nashville, uh, but this one is April 7th or 8th, and it's preparing SLPs for tracheostomy and ventilator patient care training course. And it is, like I said, in Nashville at the Select Specialty Hospital. And this is a hands-on training course specifically for SLPs. So it's not just RTs or nurses or ENTs talking generally. It's specifically for SLPs and it's specifically hands-on. So you guys will get your hands on these trachs and speaking valves and really learn how to use them. So in this course, you'll be trained in the clinical methods and procedures for assessment and treatment of communication and swallowing for trach and vent patient care. The information in this course is specific and comprehensive to the role and responsibilities of the SLP. In this course, you'll be trained in the application of multiple types of valves, such as Pazimir, Shekini, and Shiley valves. Participants will engage in a special highlighted training session on NPO status, aspiration pneumonia, and oral care by our beloved Dr. John Ashford. For a high-quality learning experience, this course is limited to only 30 participants to accommodate small group training sessions that further break down into one-on-one -on -one case simulation training with multiple experienced expert instructors, including Dr. Jamie Fisher herself. So for more information or to register for preparing SLPs for Drake and Vent Patient Care training course, 
You can view the flyer in the show notes or visit www.sasspllc.com. That's www.sasspllc.com. So that sounds like an awesome course too, especially when have we ever gotten to get our, <laughs> our hands on some actual trachs and speaking valves just in a learning environment. So that sounds great. So look up that course if you guys are interested. All right. And since we are talking about all things trach, I'm really excited to discuss this latest product with you guys. It's called the Shekinah Speaking Valve. I know I've, I've heard of it. I'm sure some of you have heard of it, but what exactly is it? So it is a dynamic speaking valve based on a ball design with a rotating 180 degree feature, which is associated with significantly lower airway resistance when compared to flapper speaking valves. The Shekinah speaking valve allows trach patients to achieve a more normalized airway system with reduced secretions and pulmonary infections, reduced aspiration, improved swallowing, and old faction as compared to the flapper speaking valves. The Shekinah speaking valve is the only valve on the market that can be used in conjunction with HMEs, which are humidity moisture exchangers, specifically to the Shekinah HME, allowing patients the benefits of speech along with humidification and filtering of inhaled air. So to learn more about the Shekinah speaking valve and its features, please go to the Airway Company website at www.theairwaycompany.com, or you can call 1-800-707-8458. Dr. Shekinah has been gracious enough to offer all Swallier Pride listeners a 10% off any of their speaking valves or HMEs. So if you go to the Airway Company or you call that number, give them promo code SYP, Uh, you guys can get 10% off any speaking valves or HMEs. And just to let you know, I do receive a small commission when you use that SYP promo code, but just wanted to be clear with that. Um, And as always, thank you to our sponsor, EndoHD, for keeping this podcast going all through the month of February. Oh, and one more thing, the medical SLP solution is officially open and live. So if you're finding yourself totally mind blown by a lot of these episodes and really wanting to learn more and have access to a lot more information and various experts in the field, then head over to medslpsolution.com and get signed up for that right away. And as always, thanks for listening to me ramble on and on and on. So now we will get to Carmen's part two episode of how to form a trach team. Um, So we're, you know, we're trying to see those patients earlier than we were in the past because we're getting those referrals earlier. Um, We are, our, our main, our three main verbal communication methods that are are our go-to is leak speech, which just means that so patients, I'm, I'm speaking of mechanically ventilated patients at this, you know, at this time. So going in and getting a respiratory therapist to go in with you. So you are um, teaming with your RT and looking at the vent settings, looking at the patient and determining whether or not that patient is ready for some leak of air into their upper airway. And so many patients are ready for even if they're on fairly high vent settings. Um, there's a speech pathologist, uh, Roxanne Diaz-Gross. I don't know if, if you read any of her stuff. She does research and has written on uh, tracheostomies and uh, dysphagia. And my favorite quote of hers is, what is dangerous about breathing through the upper airway? You know, we're always so scared, or speech pathologists or respiratory therapists, or even the physicians sometimes are like, Oh, wait, 
I can hear them and they're on the ventilator and they go back and put more air in the cup and stop that leak. And that's not what we want if the patient's stable. So, um, you know, anytime we can get that leak of air into the upper airway, it can be beneficial. So leak speech is one of our go-to methods. So just cuff, you know, cuff deflation. I always advocate for very sense. So you're gonna attach that syringe and just one cc at a time, very slowly remove air from the cuff. So you're gradually introducing airflow into the upper airway. When a patient's been on the vent for a while, they can be somewhat hypersensitive to that airflow. And so just, just be very reassuring and let them know, hey, this is gonna feel a little bit weird. You may cough a little bit, but we're gonna let some air into your upper airway. And many times leak speech it works great. They can get some air into their upper airway and they can start producing audible phonation and talking with their family. And if I can do that, the very first thing that I do is get their family members at bedside because they would much rather talk to them than they would to me. And then the second thing that we do, uh, look at the possibility of putting a valve in line with the vent. Um, we usually start with the leak speech just because that's a little bit sort of a, a baby step into full cuff deflation and uh, using the inline. Um, but we also, we team with our respiratory therapist. We look at the ventilator settings and um, proceed with the cuff deflation and just troubleshoot with those kinds of patients, just like you would a, a trached patient. So obviously they need to be able to tolerate cuff deflation. They need to have a small enough tracheostomy tube that they can sufficiently exhale air around their trach through their upper airway for voicing. And then we can go ahead and, and, and put the, the speaking valve in line with the vet and restore communication that way. And then the third thing that we're doing with these patients is um, if the patient is awake and alert and they are having significant difficulty tolerating cup deflation. For the patient population that um, this occurs most often with are our are, are high-level quad patients. So if they're a high-level quad, they may not have any respiratory drive initially. You know, this may change over time, but initially they may not. And so when you deflate their cuff, they lose too much tidal volume and they just struggle too much. And we may get to a point where cuff deflation and passing air in line works great. But the thing that we're, we're doing now is we are using um, a cortex tracheostomy tube um, as a talking trach. And so um, I'll, I'll try to sort of explain this. It's, it's a little bit difficult without the actual trach and, you know, showing you. Um, but you can, you know, definitely take a look online if anybody's interested. It's, um, it's blue line suction aid trach. And it's um, by Smith's Medical. And our facility, we primarily use Shiley tracheostomy tubes. That's just what's, you know, that's the trach that's been around for a long time. But I really like this trach. It's very similar to the Shiley trach. And then it's, it's made out of PVC plastic. It's got um, an inner cannula and outer cannula. They're cuffed tracheostomy tubes. But this trach has an extra airline it goes along the outer cannula and it's got two little holes in the very end of that extra line. Are you following me? Am I making sense? Okay. Okay. And those little, um, those little holes are above the level of the cuff. 
all right? So the purpose of this trach is really for subglottic suction. So you can connect that extra line to suction, and then you're suctioning above the level of the cuff. But if you reverse the airflow, so if you just remove it from suction and then attach it to a source of compressed air, then you can blow the air into that line. It blows out a little port, but when you occlude the port with your thumb, then it continues to blow into the trachea above the level of the cuff, below the level of the vocal fold so that patients can produce audible speech with their cuff inflated. So those are, so those are some of the things that we're, that we're doing. And again, I know I'm going back to the tracheostomy team a lot, but I think without that team that I could go to the physician that was already sort of on board with, yes, let's get our patients talking and swallowing and, you know, this is improving their quality of life. I think without that relationship, he might've been more resistant to say, what do you mean we're going to try this new brand of trach and what is this? Where instead, because we built this relationship, he was like, yeah, let's try it. So we're using that trach, um, you know, more frequently with our patients that are having difficulty tolerating cuff inflation. And we're having some pretty good success with it. Yeah, cool. So, I think what's so cool about what you do is I think so much of medical speech pathology, we think is all dysphagia is all swallowing, but you actually get to go back to the communication and speaking component of it, which, you know, a lot of us really don't, you know, we may get an occasional voice patient or something like that, but unless that's really your specialty, it doesn't seem like you get to see those patients, but it seems like you get a healthy amount of working on swallowing and speaking and communication. Yeah, I really, I really do. And I think, you know, I think maybe that's why I love this. You know, it's not, it's, it's sort of like, okay, you can look at the ventilator once you understand the settings, you know, and if you don't understand the settings, then just find a nice respiratory therapist and follow them around and ask them questions and, and have them explain things to you. I mean, that's really how I learned. Um, years and years ago, um, you know, I just found a respiratory therapist, followed him around and learned as much as, as much as I could. And, um, yeah, we really do get to work a lot on both speech and, and swallowing with this patient. Yeah. I think, I think a good respiratory therapy kind of counterpart is so vital in our field. I know that, like you said, at LTAC, I worked in forever ago kind of me and this other RT just became really good buddies. And I taught her so much about swallowing and she helped me understand respiratory so much more. And, you know, we were a better team for it. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think too, it kind of used to be that, um, you know, the respiratory therapists would see me, you know, walking toward them <laughs> and think like, oh, great, here comes a speech pathologist. I know she's going to make me, you know, stop what I'm doing and, and, you know, go, you know, do something that I wasn't, you know, something extra in my day. But we've had such great successes in getting patients to talk and seeing what a difference it can make. And that now they're like, okay, what are we, you know, who are we going to go work with today? And sometimes they're the ones too that are our advocates. Like, hey, let's go see this this patient together. So you absolutely teaming with the respiratory therapist can be um, you know, a great thing for the patient, but it, you know, it can also be really fun and you can definitely learn from each other. 
Yeah, I do. I have one respiratory therapist that she pretty much does all my referrals in this one LTAC. Like she'll call me or she'll text me and I'll get there. And the nurse is like, I had no idea this patient was even stable enough to do this, you know, do the fees, do the swallow test. And the respiratory therapist is like, oh yeah, they're great. You know, let's get to work. So yeah, yeah, it's been a really cool, cool partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, the other thing, you know, like I I said, we're getting referrals, early referrals. And so, um, we are looking at both communication and swallowing. Um, my ideal setup for a patient is to be able when I'm starting a swallowing evaluation, particularly if it's a non-instrumental assessment, which is what we, you know, usually start with. You know, I feel like if you can't deflate the cuff or hear a patient's voice, you're completely guessing. I mean, you have no idea. You can maybe see a little laryngeal movement, but that's really all you have. So if if you can't get the cuff deflated and hear some voice, then in my opinion, you absolutely have to go to an instrumental assessment to make any kind of judgment at all. Um, So if I'm going to do a bedside, I really like to be able to get the cuff deflated. And whether this is a vent patient or just, you know, a trach patient, get the cuff deflated. And if I can, to get, you know, get a valve on the trach so that you're kind of setting them up for a more successful swallow. Um, You know, and I mentioned that Roxanne Diaz-Grove, she's she's done some research and, and published that restoring a closed system, you know, meaning getting either a cap on the trach or a speaking valve on the trach to restore more normal physiology is just a good way to set your patients up for a more successful swallow, better subglottic closure and, or or I'm sorry, better subglottic pressure to get the vocal folds uh, closed. So, you know, if I can, that's the way I like to set my patients up. If I can't, and the patient is awake and alert, I still would go ahead and do uh, an instrumental swallowing assessment. Uh, And I've seen lots and lots of patients, um, particularly with our ALS patients that go on the, you know, that just uh, they're going to prolong their life and by artificial means and they go ahead and they get their peg and they get their trach and they're on the vent, but they're awake and alert. And, um, you know, maybe we can, deflate their cuff and get a, a speaking valve in line, but we can't do that all possibly all day long. And so I'm still doing fees or a modified barium swallow eval, even on mechanically ventilated patients with their cuff inflated. And sometimes they have difficulty, but sometimes they swallow just fine. And so those patients deserve an assessment, in my opinion, just as much as any other patient. We don't have to wait until they're off the vent to be assessing swallowing. If you are looking for a fees imaging system to use in more locations in the hospital, such as the ICU, CCU, PICU, exam room, patient room, uh, check out EndoHD. It can be a case portable system as well as a carded system, depending on your needs. And EndoHD representatives will help clinicians set up their fees program. Contact www.ndohd.com forward slash contact for more information for an easy to operate fee system with fully automated archiving with zero downtime, intuitive software with one touch recording, immediate fee study review, 
and customizable fees report template is provided. So that's www.ndohd.com forward slash contact. Yeah, I think that was one of the most eye-opening patients I had early on in my career was a pretty severe ALS patient that was on a vent. Um, you know, and I got the referral for it and I'm like, Oh my God, there's no way, yeah. what, what are we doing? Like, there's no way this guy can swallow, you know, yeah. and the swallow was beautiful. It yeah. was just, yeah. So that, that was really kind of the beginning of me harping on don't ever write off our patients. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump back into some of the things that we're doing, but pay for a, a patient story. I think when I, I came to Vanderbilt as a student, um, lots and lots of years ago. No. And, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, this this patient, I'll never, you know, since it's been 24 years, um, I'll never forget this particular patient. Um, he was a gunshot wound to the neck. So he was a high level quad. And we, at that time, we didn't even um, keep, passing mirror valves in the hospital. Every time we needed one, we had to order one from, you know, outside the hospital. And so anyway, you know, this was a while ago and we weren't doing a whole lot of, you know, work with our, our vent dependent patients. But anyway, he was wide awake and he was, you know, just fully alert and he had a lot to say. And so we worked with him and he was able to use a passing mirror in line with the vent. He was able to talk and he had a lot to say. And, you know, I, I just remember thinking like this, this is what I get to do. You know, I'm a student and this is what I get to do. Restore communication for these folks. I mean, it was just incredibly rewarding. And then we, we were not doing fees at that time, but we took him downstairs to the fluoro suite and he had a completely intact swallow while he was on the vent. And, you know, that was years and years ago. And so whenever I hear now, 20 plus years later, you know, whenever I hear now that speech pathologists, you know, or, or, or the teams won't allow speech pathologists to be working with their vent patients or deflating cups and, and all of those kinds of things, you know, and doing swallowing assessments, I, I think it's just very archaic. And we've been doing this for a long time and it's absolutely, we absolutely have a place in the ICU um, in both communication and swallowing. So, yeah, I just, you know, when if they say that out to you, I, you know, yeah, absolutely. Stories, you know, they're the yeah. ones that kind of, I think, just you know, spark your interest or your passion for, you know, what you do. Um, so, I'll, I'll start with a clinical swallowing evaluation if I can, you know, get a cup deflated and, um, We'll typically just start with some ice chips. And if a patient is, like I said, they're awake and alert, they're wanting to eat and drink, and they look like they've got some kind of swallow, doesn't have to be a great swallow, um, then we move on to do an instrumental analysis. And most often we're doing fees um, on our um, vent patients. Sometimes we'll wheel them down to fluoro, but, but most often we're doing fees with those folks. Um, and I'll tell you that sometimes we can, we will realize we'll, we'll go in, we'll do our clinical swallow eval, and we'll know, you know, that guy, he's just not ready. He's not yeah. ready. There's no reason to put him through, you know, 
a, a scope or, or transfer him to fluoro, we know he's not ready. But we are almost never recommending NPO anymore. Almost never. We are finding ourselves, and I'm, I'm speaking to, for my colleagues. I hope they don't listen in and yeah. like, hey, <laughs> I don't know if you should say that, but you know, we're almost never recommending NPO. I can't even really think of the last time that I said a patient couldn't have ice chips. Um, and I, you know, I'll see what you have to say about this, but I just, I don't, I think not only um, is it cruel to make patients completely NPO and make their mouths and their pharynx like a desert, um, but I, I think that we can consider, you know, ice chips for pleasure but I think ice chips for therapeutic swallowing, getting their jaw moving again, um, getting some moisture in their mouth and their pharynx. Um, and then I think, you know, as long as, and I kind of borrow from the Fraser, um, you know, free uh, water protocol, and, you know, not that we're going that far with our medically compromised ICU patients to let them have free water. But I think that we can kind of borrow from that literature and say that, okay, as long as we're doing excellent oral care for these patients and we're not just going bananas with huge scoops of ice chips all day long, that some ice chips is a good thing. And that's Absolutely. the whole cost benefit, but um, doing it in a careful uh, way is beneficial to our patients. Yeah, we had I had Dr. Ashford on for I think episode 2 and that's oh, been yeah. the most popular episode. Yeah, and I mean it was the comments I've gotten back have just been opened people's eyes so much. You oh. know, they just had no idea that oral care was so important and so crucial and so critical and that people actually can have some ice chips if they have a nice clear mouth, you know. So Yeah, absolutely. And we need to be involved in that too. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not just like if you look in someone's mouth and it's pretty nasty, you don't need to walk away. You need to yeah. get your, you know, your toothets and your suction and, you know, occasionally the tweezers and get to town. You don't want to get the nurse and, you know, you may take two people, but, but get in there and get, you know, get the patient's mouth clean. And I don't know about you. Um, you know, obviously I know you're, you know, you're doing lots of fees, but my um, one eye-opening moment for me, which, and I hope this isn't gross anybody out that's listening. So if you're easily grossed out, maybe mute me for just a second, or you may yeah. decide to edit this out. I don't know. Yeah. But um, uh, <laughs> one fees that I did, um, it was a guy in our burn unit. And he had been in uh, NPO for a while. So this was before our trait team. Um, but he had been in PO for a while. We hadn't been seeing him. We hadn't been having ice chips. And we saw him. He was, you know, awake-ish, alert-ish, asking for water, a completely aphonic, um, probably because he was so dry. And I got the scope in place. And, you know, I think sometimes, like, what you see going on in the mouth, meaning if you see a lot of xerostomia and adhered secretions to the buccal surfaces and the palate, you can be pretty sure that's what you're going to see in the pharynx. And what we pulled out of this guy's pharynx, I mean, literally, it looked like a small mouse. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it yeah. was horrible. Yeah. 
absolutely terrible. And I couldn't even do the exam until we got all of that out of his hypopharynx. So once I saw that and really attributed that to him being NPO for too long, it really made me feel like we've got to allow our patients to have it. Yeah. I had a woman, I had a woman a few months back and she had a history. It was maybe like, it had been a long time, maybe eight, nine years of, um, I can't remember exactly what, but it was some sort of laryngeal cancer. And they told her she'd never eat again and she just needed to be MPO. And same thing. I got the fees scope down there and I couldn't, I couldn't see anything. Like you said, it looked like a dead mouse down there. There was just so much. So, much. I, so and the, the, the son, the son, one of the family members was watching and he was like, what is that? Like, what is in my mom's throat? And I was like, oh. I, I'm like, we got to get her the ENT, man. I don't think anybody yeah. here is going to, you know, is qualified. Yeah. 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 So I went back and reavowed her a few days later and her swallow was, was decent. It was workable once we got yeah. everything out of there and everything cleared out. So, yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I really do. I feel like the days of the speech pathologist recommending NPO um, really should be over, you yeah. know, and, and you know, I, I say that, you know, obviously there's maybe the 0.01% patients, maybe our, you know, brainstem stroke patient with an absent swallow, that's a different story, but um, I think for the most part, if we can get our patient swallowing something um, to prevent the xerostomia, the dry pharynx, and just for disuse use atrophy purposes, it can be a, you know. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So can you guys take your vent patients down to flora or do you have to do fees on them? Do you have the luxury of doing we both? Do, we can. Yeah. And before we, we've been doing fees at Vanderbilt for maybe maybe like eight years now. Um, but we, we've been seeing, you know, our vent dependent patients for, you know, much, much longer than that. So yeah. before we were doing fees, we were taking more down to fluoro. It's always a big rigmarole, you know, yeah, yeah. you've got to move them. You've got to move the, the vents. You know, there's a lot you, we often have to bag them on their way to fluoro and then set the vent back up. So it's complicated, um, but occasionally we'll, yeah. we'll do that. Um, we're, we're more often doing fees. Yeah. Um, cool. So like our, our CVICU, um, is, is a place where, you know, sometimes those patients are on lots and lots of different lines and drips and on the vent and tube feeding. And, um, we, we almost never do, um, fluoro, you know, with those patients, we're almost always doing fees. And they're, they're now to the point where, um, you know, they're, they're just like, whatever you need to do and, you know, just do a fees whenever you need. So they're yeah. very used to like that being our. our yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo I love being able to have our own tools at our own disposal. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So talk a little bit about, do you do much treatment, I guess? Because, you know, you probably don't have these patients for very long unless they're ICU. You may have them for an extended amount of time. But I always think it's so interesting when some acute care therapists really do talk about a lot of the treatment techniques that they do for swallowing. So, yeah, you know, so um, I'd love to uh, I'd love to say that we do and I'd love to actually do more treatment. Um 
our caseloads are often such that we're, you know, doing everything that we can to stay afloat with our, our new avals. Um, and so unfortunately, sometimes our treatments are not the priority. So if we're only able to get to see a patient maybe two or three times a week, our short session isn't really going to make the difference that we need it to. And so anytime I can bring a family member in and say, okay, these are the exercises that I, you know, want, you know, your father to do. This is the amount of ice chips that I want him to have. This is the position that he needs to be in when you're doing those therapeutic PO trials. Um, so, so anytime I can loop a family member in, it's trainable and reliable. I try to do that. Um, if that's not the case, which sometimes it is, we just try to get back and do therapy as often as we can. Um, the majority of therapy that we're doing in acute care are traditional swallowing exercises, good oral care, and ice chips. Um, now, on the outpatient side, we're doing a lot of different things. Um, you know, we're using the IOP, we're using EMST, SEMG. Um, you know, so we're doing traditional swallow therapy as well as some of the, you know, adjuncts to cool. therapy. Oh, I, I keep thinking I'd love to see if we do EMST more on the inpatient side. And it's something that we've been talking about, whether or not we could order some devices and have them stocked in our central supply and order them up just like we do yeah. other things. We haven't done that yet, but it's something that, you know, we've been yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it could be certainly beneficial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. It sounds like you guys have quite the gamut of swallowing tools in outpatient then. Yeah, yeah. We're, um, you know, it's it's something that we're, we're seeing a lot of um, outpatients, variety of diagnoses, um, lots of head and neck cancer patients in, in the outpatient, um, in the outpatient. So, cool. and, you know, as you know, they need, they need lots of therapies. So yes. You know, yeah. Provide everything that we can for them. Yeah. Lots of fun tools. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I always ask everyone a question at the end. I don't know if you're ready for this or you're prepared for it, but is there one patient or, oh my gosh, one patient, one paper or study or researcher that's had a big impact on your practice or been a game changer in the way you think about treating? You know, in in terms of research or a, a paper, um, you know, I mentioned before the Roxanne Diaz Gross stuff that she has yeah. out there. And she's not the only one. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows that patients with a closed system swallow better. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of controversy in our field about whether the tracheostomy tube causes dysphagia. And there's kind of, you know, a couple of different camps and, you know, we don't have to get into all of that. What I, what I do feel though, is that if we can get the patient to have a closed system, particularly in a dysphagic patient. So 
in our dysphagic patient? Was it the trach tube that contributed to it? Or was it their primary diagnosis? Or that they have underlying COPD and they have difficulty with breathing and swallowing coordination already? I mean, our trach patients usually have a whole host of reasons that they're going to have dysphagia. And to me, the trach is just kind of one more layer of impairment. But I believe that in our dysphagic patients, we have to get that system closed to allow our patient to cough, to utilize some of the strategies that we have, like a supraglottic swallow or an effortful swallow, which you know some of those are difficult to do with, with an open tracheostomy tube. And so I think her research, along with some of the other research that just shows you really need a closed system um, to be able to provide some of the swallow therapy and get your patients in a more um, normal physiologic state um, has, has really just kind of shown me how I want to, you know, how I want to practice and how I work with, um, with the um, tracheostomized patients, particularly um, in dysphagia management. Cool. Awesome. I love, I love hearing all those. Kind of comes from, yeah, yeah. I also included in what I sent you some of my favorite online resources. Oh, perfect. Okay. There, I mean, the ones that I sent have an abundance of information. They've got bibliographies, they have videos, they have webinars, um, most of them are free to access any, you know, access, you have free access to all of their materials and webinars. And um, so that, that can be really helpful, particularly for a new clinician. That's just, I want to learn everything about. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that seems to be what's kind of going on now. Everyone just, we've got a good group of newer, younger clinicians and they just want to know more and more and more about Drake. So yeah, I'm trying to give it to them. So good. <laughs> Good, good, good. Well, this was great, Carmen. Okay, well, thanks. I hope it's yes, okay. It was. Oh, it's going to be so good. Okay. Yeah. Thank oh, yeah. Thanks again yeah. for what you're doing. Um, oh, yeah. Really, I mean, they're really great resources that my grad student first told me about your podcast. And, oh, funny. Yeah. So, like, all of our grad students are all, yeah, listening in. Oh, good. And really, yeah, appreciate what you're doing. So, yeah, hey, it's been it's weird. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. I know. I feel like I just kind of harped on, like, the same thing to my group of SLPs that I work with all the time. So, I'm like, if I just recorded some stuff, I would not stop sounding like a broken record every day. <laughs> and then it just somehow really took off. So. Yeah, well, it really has. Well, yeah, yeah. you should be commended. It's a, it's a cool oh, thing. Oh, thanks. 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 Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening.